Welcome to Movies, Movies, Movies. Smoky jokes. All right, um, Jen, is there anything you want to say to get us started or should we just start with housekeeping? Wolf, no, let's, I think we should start with housekeeping. Would you want to lead that? Yeah, okay. So if you, the first time you talk in this interview, just say your name before you say what you want to say so that we can just uh, put names to voices together afterwards. And it's a podcast and it'll be really disorientating. But I think we lean into that kind of psychosis vibe with this because... It feels like having a lot of tabs open, which I feel like is what MIF 2020 would have been. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. So Isabella, Annika, Mitch, Shaheen, Luke. Okay, I think we should start by everyone going around. I know that you want to do this housekeeping the Andre, but I just don't think it'll make for great radio. So because we're the most professional people in the industry, I think we should go around and everyone describe what they put in their background and why and their name. Is that okay? And maybe the best thing that they've seen at MIF. Jenna. Or the worst. No, let's not do that. Just continue your background. Question. Everyone just say their name and why they picked their virtual background. Bruce, okay. let's start with you. <laughs> Yo, uh, I'm Bruce, if that wasn't obvious. Um, I put a, a TMZ photo of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman sleeping on a plane trip, I think, um, as my background. Because uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's a babe. I mean, is there, is there any other reason needed, I guess? Fair enough. Angus, go for it. Um, I, I made my virtual background uh, Benny and Benny's video getting his head shaved because I think all of the films I'm watching alone at MIF will corrode my brain and I will um, become a, a social outcast. Your bedroom Come does on. look like a Michael Haneke film set. <laughs> um, I'm so self-conscious about pronouncing your name again. Mariana? Mariana. Um, Mariana, Mariana. Tell us why you picked your background. Uh, my background, my fabulous background is uh, a still from what we do in the shadows, which is, I'm pretty sure my personality condensed into a film. Uh, it is chaotic about, you know, bisexual vampires being dysfunctional in, you know, of, in this city life. And I just feel that I relate to that on a spiritual level, especially because I hate going outside during the day. Um, I'm very much... Um, like spiritually a vampire, but I'm also just spiritually a dysfunctional vampire. Um, also, I, I love Takia Watiti, so I just feel like what we do in the shadows is my basic personality distilled into a incredibly funny, chaotic cult classic. So this year has been really suited to you. Oh, it has very much so. Um, I'm I'm one of those annoying people that is actually sort of kind of enjoying self-iso because I don't have to go outside but uh I know a lot of people are not enjoying it but yes. for me a ho- a homebody I very much am we will discuss that at length for the rest of my life <laughs> critic campus mom can you introduce yourself say your name and why you picked your background I'm looking at you Luke no I know who I am <laughs> uh I am Luke and um due to the inadequacies of my uh, mac os I do not have a background However, I have uh, brought this framed picture of Michelle Pfeiffer from Batman Returns because it is one of the greatest performances Mm. of all time from probably my favorite actress, one of my favorite actresses. That's me. 
We've got a Casper background. Uh. We do. Yes. Hi, I'm, I'm Isabella. And this is just, um, yeah, you know, from Casper, I was watching on the weekend kind of um, after watching lots of, yeah, super good qual films at MIF, I just wanted to kind of mix it up with some some um, high art, low art. Um. Are you saying Hilary Duff isn't high art? No, Christina Ricci. But, the, yeah. Is Hilary Duff in the first one? <laughs> no, it's Wendy Casper. and Casper. Casper and Wendy. Oh, oh my yeah. God. That's all yeah. I can say about Casper. I want to see, <laughs> see Casper played by the hologram of Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> okay, who else have we got? What have we got? Oh, okay, Anika, we've got a controversial choice here. Is this a trans text? No, it's Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, okay. Yeah, I just feel like it's a great watch and I'm just trying to get the word out there more. <laughs> I love that. This is, a, this is one step beyond Cloud Atlas and I love it. Yeah, hi everyone, I'm Shaheen. And uh, the background for my uh, conversation today is this 1973 Indian film called Duvida, made by this Otia uh, from India, Manikal. And this is a landmark film. And uh, very interestingly, uh, this the actress that you see with her haunting eyes, this was her first and only film. And this is an iconic photograph of her with those eyes. Um, this film is basically a short, uh, a, a rural folktale on a ghost in this uh, state called Rajasthan. Of course, it's been remade again in Bollywood, but uh, this film, is an iconic landmark in the history of Indian cinema. And of course, it remains one of my favorites. Oh my God, when did you first see it? I saw it in, in a film festival in, um, I think, Delhi, like some 10 years back. Um, this is a 1973 film. Of course, Manikal has died. But uh, again, we don't know anything about much about this actress anymore. She just did this film. She didn't know uh, a word of any of the regional languages of India. She just spoke French. But throughout the film, she doesn't speak a word. So it's like a very minimalist, Whoa. silent, and it's only her eyes that do all the talking. Sounds like Anna Paquin and the Irishman. Am I right or am I right? Yeah. <laughs> I just figured out how to put everyone's faces clearly on the desktop, so... Have we heard from you, Michelle? Hello. So I was not sure what to go with until we just had a session on a film by Agnes Varda. So I was feeling kind of inspired by that French New Wave vibe. And so I... Uh, brought out my beret and cigarette to oh. lightly puff on during this oh. session. But no, it's a prop. Um, um, and the backdrop is is actually a photo I took um, in Paris. So. Oh, so you're Agnes Varda in this idea. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good interpretation. C'est moi. I love it. Andre, what's your background? Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about? My background is um, Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen in Bad Neighbours, who are just two hot dilfs in a film about neighbourhood wars and housemate wars, which is something that I can relate to. My best friend was Rose Byrne's stunt double, so we always make fun of her for that. So I sometimes feel like that this movie is about my best friendship. My background is um, the announcement that Elizabeth Debicki is going to be playing Princess Diana. Discuss both. Um, I thought this could be a conversation starter about both Australian culture and the culture of actresses that look and sound exactly like Elizabeth Debicki. I mean, we have a history with her. I don't know if we have time to go into it, but famously she did witness us having a car crash and walked away from it. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear about that, That's you can read crazy. my autobiography. 
Uh, yes, Jen as the trucker uh, came out and was like, "You fucking faggot!" Elizabeth Debicki yeah. just got a bottle of wine and walked down the street. We'll be hearing from her lawyers when we publish our memoirs, but that's just. I me. would say the hot take is that people are maybe going to hate Diana, which is not really a thing that is allowed to be spoken about. But um, maybe we I don't can. know about you guys, but I don't want to dedicate this conversation to Diana and portrayals of Diana. No, I don't either. Please, <laughs> please. I've only got an announcement that Christian Stewart is also playing Princess Diana. So we're going to have an option to like Diana and to hate Diana, depending on how you feel about LGBT really? rights. We are curious and um, confused about how you could do a Critics Campus over Zoom at a film festival online during a pandemic in 2020. And as much as we want to talk about that specific experience, I think what we're just going to summarise it as is that cinema is dead and we're kind of okay with that. Jen, yesterday you were talking about how when you remove cinemas from the film festival equation, it takes away the, um, the shared hypnosis that happens the syn- Synchronicity. The, the synchronicity brain. Uh, the of, neuroscience of it. Of watching a film. Um, but I never felt that as someone with social anxiety going to a cinema. So I actually almost prefer opening a desktop and uh, watching a film on my laptop alone. But young film critics, uh, how, what do you guys feel about the death of cinema, the, the end of going to the movies? Not all at once. I think it is propaganda created by Quentin Tarantino so he can make us watch more of his um, irritating films at the cinema. Wait, I don't... coronavirus is propaganda by QT? No, no, no. The death of cinema. That, that whole concept, I think. Like, people have been crying about the death of cinema since, like, TVs were created um, and cinemas are still going. Um, and while I do love, like, going and sitting in a cinema, if, if not doing that means that I'm not likely to give, like, a virus to my loved ones, I am very happy to do it. And... Um, I just, yeah, I, I like watching films at home. As I said at the beginning of the conversation, I'm very much a homebody. So watching films at home um, does not taint them for me in any way. I think if you've only made your film like to be viewable in cinema, um, which I know a lot of filmmakers do believe, uh, I don't think you're a good filmmaker because the reality is like, people are going to view your film across their whole life in a lot of different ways. Um, Miri, that was an amazing answer. The nature of this interview is experimental. We are going back to the start because we have forgotten Isabella and Jack's introduction, I believe. Uh, is that right? Uh, yeah. Jack! Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Jack. I am really paranoid about the security implications of having Zoom installed on your computer so i do not have it on my computer so i can't have a background i can only have what is actually behind me so you just have a boring bland background which says a lot about who you're talking to i suppose okay we can now go back to the discussion miri i totally vibe with you and i definitely feel like there's sort of two sides to it but i also feel like we still haven't reached the point where we can wholesomely embrace at-home movie watching on your own, alone, without the community and the audience. That's because we have the fear of a pandemic hanging over our heads. Definitely, definitely. But maybe even outside the pandemic, I think we should be celebrating laptop movie watching. This year. I mean, stop, me, Luke, if it's, stop me, Luke, if it's too uh, spicy, but it's interesting that the conversation is so much about watching movies at home, but they took that movie off... The, the program because they were worried 
pedophiles are going to jerk off to it at home. Wait, oh my god, <laughs> Tom, <laughs> what the heck? No, talk about this, talk the about this. The trouble with being born. Please, Luke, interject if this is... Um, yeah, the trouble with being born was going to be played, but then um, in, in speaking about its, like, discussions of uh, child sex robots, people were worried that it would... Add, the, a child psychologist was worried that it would um, encourage uh, pedophiles and the fact that it was at home, that it would be, like, masturbation material. Wow. What does Margaret think about this censorship that's going on? Margaret Pomeranz? I feel like that's censorship, right? I don't know if Myth knows, but um, pedophiles can get video content on the internet <laughs> outside of Myth, so it makes no difference yes. whether they post a film or curate a film in the lineup. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing is that, like, you know, if people didn't know about this film, or, like, if pedophiles didn't know about this film before, the media was like created a frenzy around it. Now they do, so mm. it's kind mm. of like spotlighted troublesome issue content. Totally. I also love that Myth is okay for everyone to like celebrate a Gaspar Noé film ensemble <laughs> with six hundred people in public, but they're really scared about potentially having one person in the privacy of their home. Why am I so caught up about this? I don't know. I need to. Yeah, I don't know why you're so obsessed with this. We don't even know about this. We haven't done any back reading on this piece of news. So, does anyone agree that cinema's dead? And does anyone want to talk about that for a second? Because that could be a hot take. Not really I've already dead, said my hot it, take. Though. It's not really dead. Not really. It's more, dead. maybe, if anything, I don't think it could die, but maybe it just becomes a little less relevant to some group of people. Like, I really enjoy going to the cinema myself, but I would say like 75% of my experience of a film has been like in my own house in my living room in my bedroom so it just becomes like a way to add some razzle dazzle if i really want to enjoy a film i guess does anyone okay so this was the question i was going to say as a follow-up because that obviously wasn't as much of a conversation starter as i thought it would be that cinema is dead okay the premise is sims cinema it's just like sim city it's just like sims golf cinemas have to evolve post the pandemic to get people back into the cinemas what are the films to get people in that you want to see what kind of films when you see a cult classic lineup and you're just stuck with seeing star wars a new hope like what would you put in their place what are other ideas for the innovation of cinema in this country uh, i think you could have some drive-in like some drive-in spots like just projecting on walls we don't really have that culture but then why not just start it it seems pretty um it's like, you know, part of the new normal. I think that's like very feasible. Mm. Everyone join the FCCA and get your free tickets all year or whatever you want, whatever you're going to join. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the uh, FCCA? Just write oh, film criticism right. and then get your free tickets. It's the Film Critics um, Circle of Australia and they give you a film pass to go see films oh, for free for a whole year. Do, they're they're a little is bit. That like, is that valuable that's information? So I don't know. I, don't know how I think it's valuable information I, for I anyone who's actually going like, to watch this. Um, Shrek 2 yeah, is the Shrek. greatest sequel of all time. Shrek 2 is famously better than Shrek 1. Um, okay, anyone else? Uh, Sims Cinema, what mm. are your innovative ideas to make people experience the love of cinema together mm. again? You guys were all about not killing cinema, but if, if that's the case, tell us why we should even go to the cinema and what it, what it needs to keep us going. Do you think that they should have like kind of a McCafe thing where you go up and you compress the movie you want to see and then go into that dark box like oh. you're at karaoke or something? Love that. Love a bit of machine interactiveness. Okay, who haven't we heard from? Someone has to have an opinion on the state of cinema. Well, yeah, it's. I feel like I there's most things I want to watch that are streamable are often on SBS On Demand. I was going through their must-watch movies section the other day, which was, oh, 
Modern Masterpieces, which was a bizarre collection of films. I'm, I'm pro SBS on demand. Quite a few of my SBS. favorite films are on SBS. They're the MVPs. So um, what is it about the for, what is what is it about the format of SBS on demand and how could cinemas learn from it? Well, I guess he's talking about like home films for free. There's a format somehow. I mean, I'm sure SBS has government funding, but it's a way that film content is streamable to a high quality legally. I mean, I don't know how many films you guys are watching, but are you guys watching them in their entirety? First go. Not yeah. always. Oh. Like I'm trying to kind of recreate like festival vibe in my house. Like hook the computer up to the TV, which is like my housemates are like, "Whoa, this is so crazy!" Because I don't know. Everyone in my house watches things on laptops, so just even putting it like on the TV is like a big kind of thing and making it feel like somewhat of like an event and getting yeah like popcorn out and stuff. And I think it is nice. Like it's good. You, you can't really, like, I'm in Melbourne at the moment and you can't see, like, anyone. So it's good to, like, come into, like, the lounge room and you can, like, get somewhat dressed up, like, you know, and, like, be with people. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to watch watch films in that way. Um, um, no, I, 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 I really miss the festival vibe, uh, to be honest. I mean, last, uh, last year, MIF was my first MIF experience because I shifted to Australia in 2018. And um, so I, I am missing it. I'm missing the festival vibe a lot. And I do see that my screening, um, you know, my viewing patterns are different than how I view it in the festival. Of course, there's a lot of pauses. Of course, there are like disturbances or some sort of a distraction happening when I'm uh, watching the film on my laptop. I don't have the facility as such to watch it on a TV or something. I mean, you know, I'm in a shared apartment, but um, but what has, uh, but MIF Critics Campus have def- has definitely been a bright spot in this really, really dreary time uh because i think like at least it's it's uh it's been a mental engagement as well uh apart from being the being here uh physically and you know like you know working on the laptop watching it but it's also been a major mental um engagement and i i, I think that's that's that is something that's like you know like cheered me a lot even though the critics campus has been a very intensive and uh, very demanding last one week but uh, this has been a bright spot in this otherwise really gloomy times. Shaheen, have you been watching films um, that are a bit escapist or is your way of, <laughs> no. Kind of like, no, no, you've been watching the hard hitting ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any such preference about watching any escapist film. I mean, whatever I'm getting, I'm just watching because, I mean, I, I just love films. I, I just love cinema. I watch anything and everything because I have an academic background and I'm also doing my PhD right now. So uh, Midsummer was a film that I, I was actually looking forward to watching it. And this year I could finally because it's on uh, it's on one of these OTT platforms. And I thought Midsummer was a good critique on anthropology and anthropologists because um, I think it was a very well done internal critique. And uh, there are many questions that come to the fore, like um, the, the way anthropologists generally fetishize uh, cultures and rituals and think that, you know, this is something exotic. Uh, the way there are predatory practices within academia, the questions of ethics and um, within academic spheres that we do not get to talk about. And I mean, it was a fantastic critique I felt about academia and anthropology in general. 
I mean, I was, I have been recommending that film to all my friends, all my professors that, you know, watch it if you want to have a self-critique of yourselves and see, uh, you know, things that you people can go wrong. I can go wrong. And of course, uh, coming from a post-colonial history, we, we know how anthropology has played a huge role in um, colonizing people and uh, especially marginalized communities, indigenous people. And I thought that this was a fantastic take on that. Hundred percent. Oh my god, I love that take. I heard you guys throwing around hot takes, and I'm wondering, was Jessica Kiang involved in Critics Campus this year? Yes, she was. Yeah. I don't know if she yeah. told if she said this to you guys, but I remember she told me two years ago. She said this this line that I've always remembered, which is "blow lightly on your hot takes." I just think it's uh, that's awesome, though. I think it's beautiful the idea that, like a hot take is like a candle, and you just got to blow on it to blow it out, but then you can light it again. The hot take, though, where do you guys stand? Because I think hot take is often confused with heightened opinion or, you know, outlandish thinking. And I'm just kind of like, y'all, let everyone have their hot take, okay, and calm down. And if you can't handle a hot take, then you probably can't handle any take. True, true. That's kind of like blurring the line into, like, cancel culture too. Kind of like, as soon as someone's hot take is a bit too hot, you're mm. like, okay, that's, that's gone, that's cancelled. Totally. Um, so I think I agree that people can get a bit too like maybe even like PC or like soft around it. But then I think you can just like take it as like a robust like personal opinion, and you can throw yeah. back like you know hot take to the hot take like fire to the fire. I I also feel like you know when you're a like I'm indigenous and a lot of other things, and sometimes I really I don't like how that sort of phrase hot take is used to like belittle a point or belittle a critique of the way a film might be dealing with um, colonialism. I remember last year I saw um, the Nightingale at SFF, and um, I was extremely angered by that movie. And when I wrote about it on uh, my blog. People will be like, "Ooh, this is a hot take," and I'm like, "No, it's not a hot take. It, this is me, an Indigenous person, telling you that this film is deeply disrespectful." Um, so I do have issues with the way that phrase uh, can be used to like belittle the point of um, uh, marginalised people talking about their experiences with a film that they um, they are marginalised by. But I do still think there's a place for hot takes. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying 100% there's a space for hot takes. Jack, we haven't heard from you that much. What have you been loving at MIF 2020? Well, my first piece was about these two um, experimental documentaries that are showing together at the festival. One is about 20 minutes long and the other one is, I think, maybe like 50 minutes long, so like a mid-length film. Um, And they're really interesting. They're a really interesting pair um, of documentaries about like, I don't want to like pretend that it's like a COVID like buzzy thing, but they are about like isolation and solitude and grief, but not anything to do with COVID. But yeah, no, they're really interesting films and very, very experimental in the way that they kind of play around with subjectivity. I think the second film in particular, The Plastic House is by an Australian director, Alison Sean and, um, yeah, I really liked it, and it's um, it's just a really interestingly constructed film, I think. So, yeah, I'd recommend those for sure. What's the? I'm curious. What's like the one piece of advice that sort of stuck out for you guys? But there has to be something that's really stood out for you guys that's like really like shaking you to your core. I know that Jesse, Jessica Jessica advice to me was what kind of like stuck with me. 
but what's what are the one-liners that you guys are going to take into the future um i i liked i mean it's not a one-liner but i really uh liked and i think this is something that i'm going to take away with me for any kind of writing that i'm going to do not just limited to film criticism but what jessica said about who you're writing for and the four categories of audiences that she uh, uh, delineated, uh, that she marked. Um, and I think this is uh, very important. I mean, she said it with respect to cinema, but I think even as an academic, I think like uh, I owe it to my discipline as well. I mean, she said that the first category is herself my, or myself, the author. Second is for the reader. Third is you write for cinema because you love the medium. And fourth is for the filmmakers or the individual uh, of the individual work under review and i think it's i think it's the most fabulous piece of advice that i've received uh when it comes to writing and i i think that's like my best takeaway of this entire you know like this entire one week we spoke to um, a guy named ashley clark and um he said something about uh well he, he's a curator at a band in new york in um uh, uh the bronx or harlem i can't remember but uh, he said that curating is an extension of criticism, which I found very interesting. Um, I never had really much exposure to the process that goes into film programming and film curating. So hearing their like perspective and his perspective particularly on all that stuff, um, kind of very eye-opening. So. Jen, what have you learned from the past week of me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I learned that I really like the idea of scheduling and selling out a session and I know it feels inaccessible but there was something about the hype that was lacking from Sydney Film Festival and that's like all I have to say about Mif. that's all I know all that anyone can remember from Sydney Film Festival is the mukbang drama thoughts go <laughs> oh my god we're bringing up mukbang this is truly bottom of the barrel conversation <laughs> what have you learned from Mif, Annika um I think like I've been trying to watch a lot of movies that I wouldn't ordinarily watch in a cinema or something. So I've been watching a lot of like international stories, I guess I never would have considered before. So that's been really good to kind of watch more widely. As critics, do you feel a responsibility to shift the culture in any way as to what you want to see at the cinema? Like, do you feel responsibility that the stuff that you like that you don't see out there, you need to ask for it? Like, what are you asking from cinema chains, audiences and filmmakers going into the future? Angus, you've been silent. Speak up. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some... I remember in, like, 2018, I was, like, frustrated when there was all this conversation around Suspiria, the, the remake being this this feminist film, in that it, I, I thought it was quite bizarre and manipulative that it was, like, every crew person on that film was male. It was, like, written by a man, directed by a man. It was a series of, like, violence performed against women's bodies, like, totally staged by men. And I think maybe if you can't shift programming, but you can kind of point those things out. And even like, you know, alternate to that, I think um, Mandy was a film that kind of tried to reckon with a history of rape revenge films, accepting that it was from the context of a male perspective rather than this kind of really performed femininity. I mean, that's a real like tangent, but I think you can't change programming, but you can kind of discuss these critical ideas and perceptions of specific films. Totally, and you can have discussions at film festivals as well. So um, mm. it's kind of like the cinema isn't really a place for discussion unless you're like really clued into how to have those discussions. Which is why totally. it feels like you were having about The Nightingale, Mariana, last year, which was actually in, like worth going to the festival, I thought, and engaging with. It, 
it was, I suppose, but it was very interesting sitting in a cinema. Um, I noticed that by half, I looked around at by halfway through the film, half the cinema had left and it had started being like as a full, a full crowd. And uh, I think the session I went to wasn't the Q&A session. So there was no um, discussion of the film afterwards, like by the filmmakers. But I do, I was with my, my friend at the time and we, yeah, it was quite cathartic. I do miss that about, about going to the cinema is having someone with you to sort of discuss the film, like as you both just experienced it. It can be hard to have those conversations like in the cinema when you're in that space. But sometimes, uh, I mean, The Nightingale is a tricky example because it is so thought provoking for lack of a better word. But you, you do, there are films like that. Where you, where you just need to talk about it straight away. Fifty Shades of Grey was also like that for me, but, you know, again, in a very negative way. <laughs> have you guys yeah. had any of those conversations with each other? Like, have you guys teamed up and watched a movie at the same time and talked afterwards during this process? We have definitely all talked about the oily cakes in First Cow a lot. Yeah. <gasps> Go, yeah. let's end on this. So talk mm. about the oily cakes. Uh, mm. That's cinema. about Wendy. Mm-hmm. We can talk to the cows come home about that one. Yeah, so well, that should be let that Where is First Cow and everyone's Kelly Reichardt like ladder? Don't ask me, you guys do this one. I've already seen two of her yeah. films, uh, the last one and this one. So, I mean, did you care? I cared, I cared. Um, I, I'll say her last one, Certain Woman, is better though. Yeah. yeah, this was my first Kelly film, so uh, it's number Same. one. <laughs> until until otherwise proven. <laughs> one out of one. <laughs> <laughs> can oh, can I just say, yeah. Those can I just say something else to like the like with the first question you guys were asking about like the death of cinema because I like took me a while to like think about it. Um, I just feel like I think even though like I just I totally disagree that cinema is dying because like it seems the more screens we have in our lives like phones, um, whatever, like iPads, et cetera, et cetera, like all the other phones we have. Um, when you go to the cinema, it's like quite a clarifying experience in a way because you'll always walk into that room where there's this like big black screen, you know, waiting to just like the image will just come alive on it. And then a movie will start like it's quite, it's both like, it's really comforting, but also like really purifying. Like cinema is just magic, you know, like, if you can't, you can't take that away. Like kind of what Izzy was saying about plugging the film into the TV and all of a sudden even her your housemates are like, oh, cool, we're, like, we're watching a movie now. It's kind of like the feeling you can't really replicate outside of cinema. So I think cinema is not dead. Unless you go that to a cave. That might not been very... A cave. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's our cave. You could, that could be an, a screening idea, like for the future. Put movies in caves. Not that's that idea. Herzog, Herzog did it first, I think. Yeah, I yeah, but we can we can bounce. It I feel the that. same. I miss I miss meditating in the movies. Uh, Andre, do you miss sleeping yeah. in the movies in the cinemas? What are you like? Well, just to like, I've been now? snacking less this year, I guess. No more Snickers pods. Our pods are the best. Okay, well, this has been really fun, but I think we should wrap it up here because it has been over an hour. Oh my god, has um, actually? Oh my gosh. It's been over an hour, and I've got to go full asleep to Benny's video. Thank you so much. You you Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank Ciao. You. Bye. Bye.
This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.